Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 355 for Monday, September 26th, 2011. Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, you send in your tips. We help provide some answers. We share everything here. And together, we learn something new about the Mac and other fun little gadgets. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. You are John F. Braun. Last I checked. And don't forget the F. I don't forget the F. How could I forget the F? It's, uh, it's impossible to forget the F, John. That's, but I need uh, it because there, there's... There's so many John Brauns out there, but as far as I know, there's only, no, actually there's lots of John F. Brauns too, but it helps, helps me find my, it helps me find myself on Google. Yeah. And do you check, do you wake up every morning and uh, look in the mirror and check your driver's license to make sure you know who you are? No. Cause I do that. And you know, I did that. I, I do it for two reasons. Number one, I, uh, <laughs> I, I wake up, I pick up my driver's license. I look in the mirror, I stand in front of the, you know, the mirror in the bathroom and I see, Oh, yep. That's my driver's license. That's me. And I make sure I see, uh, you know, I get my name right. And I check to see if it's my birthday. And that's what I do every day. On Saturday, turns out, it was my birthday. Who knew? It was. I, I did. Oh, a lot, see, a lot of people you, on Twitter did. Oh, yeah. That's how you know. Facebook alerts you now and all of your friends. Yeah. It's your birthday. That's right. Yeah, I've seen that. I don't know. Yeah, I, I made some wisecrack. Yeah. Yeah. To you. I think I said you were getting old. It happens. And then someone else commented, uh, someone else speculated that, uh, you know, uh, will, will it ever get to a point where you will be almost as old as me? Well, we'll get to within the point we'll get to the point where, uh, well, if, if you and I are, are fortunate enough to grow old to the point where we're in our thousands, uh, then it certainly (sighs) would get to the point where it's within a, you know, rounding error sort of, right. I mean, it won't really matter. Those I think it's two, kind of two really old. What, are, what do they call it? Asymptotic function. I think it'll approach zero, but never get there. That's correct. It will approach zero or it will always remain at what? F- five. Is that right? Is there five years between us? Four. I don't know. Something I believe like it's five. I think that's yes. Right. Yeah. Hey, let's get to, uh, let's go do some questions here. What do you think? About yeah, that? why not? Okay. Good. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's start with Jeff here and see where we go. Jeff says, Asks, in fiddling around with a new trackpad and trying to use Lion's new file move feature, I accidentally deleted a folder on a time capsule connected external hard drive. Usually no big deal, right? Just go into the trash and restore the folder and files to their original locations. I looked and it wasn't there. In fact, I found no way to recover these deleted files. No undo command available in the finder. Nothing. And no, this external drive was not backed up. So I searched Google and found that there is no real undelete inside the Mac OS. Uh, my question is, is there anything that can be done within OS 10 or with any freeware to recover the lost folder? If not, are there any programs you would recommend purchasing? All right. So we'll answer your question. But in it but first, let's talk about why this happened, uh, because as we're all very used to, you know, when you delete something, it goes to the trash can and, and it stays there until you empty the trash. In fact, almost to a fault, you could fill up your drive and have the trash full of gigabytes of stuff 
and uh, until you delete it on the Mac, it just doesn't go away. Uh, right. And I gave him, I, I missed the part where he said it was a time capsule connected drive. Right. So, cause I was that, wondering if he invoked some strange action here, because as you point out, Dave, normally it's a two-step process and you can do it through the keyboard. Uh, and there's just one thing I want to mention that, that, that I think is relevant. So there's one either menu choice or key combination where you can put a file in the trash. And of course you see it bulge and gives yep. you a visual cue. And then there's another finder menu choice or key combination that will empty the trash. And this is typically what I do. I typically do it through the keyboard. Okay. What it's worth noting though, is that there is also a third choice. And I think because it's kind of dangerous, it, it, it does not have a keyboard equivalent available, but it's in the finder menu and okay. it says secure empty trash. Ah. And I just want to mention this because I think it's relevant to our conversation here, but secure empty trash. So normally when you empty the trash, it's not really equivalent to emptying your trash and that something disappears. Maybe I'll hand it back to you. I don't, I don't, I, I, I just want to give some background here about what we'll be speaking of. Okay. All right. So, so empty trash will tell the hard drive. Okay. You know, the, the, what used to be here, um, just mark that space available the next time somebody comes. So it doesn't really get rid of the information. Secure empty trash, based on what I know, will overwrite everything. That's so right. this is good and bad. If that's your intent, if you want to be absolutely sure that, what the, that the file or files that you're deleting are gone forever, then choose secure empty trash. You It'll take us, a little longer. You took us into tangent land already. That's, it's I good. did, but I think it's a yeah. relevant tangent because uh, I, I, I want to help everyone under the, the, I think we should all understand what's what's happening behind the scenes when you uh, trash or delete something. That's that's the purpose of the tangents. It's a good thing. Back uh, on track. OK. All right. No, it's good. Um, so so but here's the thing. Presuming that that Jeff had not uh, immediately gone and chosen empty trash. Why wasn't this file in the trash? And uh, the reason is that it was on the drive connected to his time capsule. Mac OS 10 for the most part, when dealing with drives that are not locally connected, so something that's connected to a network device, in this case is time capsule, but the same is true if it's on, if, if you've got files on, say, a Drobo, or even files on another Mac's hard drive that you're sharing over the network. When you go to delete a file, uh, it will, now, in theory, this, it will come up and warn you, and it might have done this for Jeff, or perhaps it didn't, uh, but for me, uh, when I try to delete something across the network, it comes up and it says, are you sure you want to delete whichever file it is? And then the subtext is this will be deleted immediately. You cannot undo this action and you have a cancel, which is the default option or delete. And, and that's because of the way permissions work. Um, it's actually, I, frankly, I think it's a little bit lazy on Apple's part. Uh, that it works this way, but it, it's the way that it works. And, uh, and anything you delete across the network does not ever, it bypasses the trash and it is just immediately deleted. Now it's a regular delete, not a secure delete as, as John was talking. So it could be undeleted, but not with OS 10. You need to use a third party utility. Uh, and there are a couple out there. The one, uh, the one that I would go to, especially because you were asking for a free option would be Mac keeper. Now Mac keeper is not free, uh, it's 39 bucks, but it does come with a 15 day fully functional trial, meaning you can just download it from their website and try it out. Uh, the, the dangerous part of doing that 
is you risk over, you know, if you don't already have Mac keeper on that drive, you risk overwriting. If you save anything to that drive, you risk overwriting it. In his case, um, you probably have to take the drive and disconnect it from the time capsule and plug it directly into your Mac in order for Mac keeper to be able to scour through it and, and potentially find those deleted files. Uh, I don't think it's going to be able to undelete them across the network, but if it's just connected USB, which I'm presuming it is plug that into your Mac and, and you should be good to go. So it, it hopefully, you know, if you haven't written anything else to it, so that's, that's the path I would take with that, but there's no guarantees. I'm with you. Now there's also, there's a little additional information here is that you can modify the behavior of the finder as far as what it does with the trash. And if you go to the finder preferences, yeah, and there is an advanced section. Now is this in snow leopard, leopard or both? Well, I'm looking in snow leopard right now. Okay. <clears throat> I'm assuming it's also in lion, but if you go to finder and then finder preferences, and then there's a little gear advanced, there are two choices there that are relevant to what we're talking about. One is show warning before emptying the trash. So if you find that annoying, then you may want to uncheck that right now on my machine, it's checked. And then also uh, there is a checkbox, which is unchecked, which says empty trash securely. So you can make that the default if mm-hmm. you want to. Um, so I thought I'd mention those as well. Now that, the, the that, pro- that is, it, it's not safe to assume that lion and snow leopard are the same as we're going to talk about in some other questions here. But in this case, you were right to assume it. They are the same. I've confirmed that on ah, two machines good. here. Yep. Now there, there are two other programs that, that I found that, that could help save the day here. Okay. So what the one that I've used personally is, um, uh, data rescue from ProSoft. From, uh, ProSoft engineering. Yep. Yes. Um, and then there's another one that I found. Uh, so I'd say between the, these three, I, the, the thing is I did a search and as he pointed out, there's a lot of matches for Mac undelete utilities. Uh, I'd be wary of the ones from someone you've never heard of. And a lot of these, uh, I had never seen the company or heard of right. the software before. So I'd be wary of that. I'd go with an established player. Uh, the other one here is, is from a uh, sub Rosa soft is, is huh. the third product that I found. Uh, a reference for and let me bring it up uh, what they call this here file salvage 7.0 so between those three utilities and what I think they're all doing essentially is and as I mentioned so what happens is when you delete a file it, it doesn't scrub it unless you do the secure delete it just gets rid of the pointer to it uh, and and says hey if anybody else wants to use this so as you said Dave if you've deleted a file the most important thing to do is as soon as possible stop hammer time <laughs> That's right. Stop for hammer time. But no, stop using the disk because every second that you use it increases the chance that the data is going to get overwritten. Yeah. And what I think all of these are doing essentially, uh, and I found a reference to this, and Mac OS X doesn't do this, but there is a concept known as file signatures, or I okay. think they're also called magic numbers. Almost like every type of numbers. file, yes, because they're magic. <laughs> but every, almost every type of file has at least some portion of it, usually at the beginning, that is has a certain pattern. And I believe what all of these are, uh, all of these programs are doing is that they have a database of these patterns. And what they're going to do is scour the disk and look for this pattern. Uh, you know, off the top of my head here, I think uh, like for example, a BMP file, you know, I've done some work at low level with this and I believe the first couple of bytes are BM or MB or, uh, or something like that. Uh. 
And I actually found an article which go, which gives you a, a big uh, listing here of all of these signatures. So I think that's what this program is doing. So that's why it's important not to, uh, you know, not to use the disk. Interesting. Um, yeah. That's file cool. signature table. And this guy actually updated this. And of course it'll be in our uh, lovingly handcrafted show notes here that I put together. But, uh, but, but there's a huge database here that identifies. And then usually, yeah, it's, it's some text at the beginning of, of the file that, uh, these utilities will look at and say, Oh, well, I know that's this type of file. Now, usually you can't, retrieve the file name because that's stored in the directory. It may be embedded in the file. So you may be able to, but a lot of these utilities, typically what I see is they just say file one, file two, file three. And then you got to kind of, fit. and they'll, they'll probably figure out the file type, but the file name is probably going to be lost. So. Got it. Cool. All right. Moving on to, uh, is it time to move on to manual here? I think it is. I think so. And but, right. you know, this is a good reason to, you know, back up do either sugar sink or Dropbox or time machine or backup or something. Yep. It's unfortunate this happened. It but, happens, there is so. hope. Yep. But there is hope that there are utilities that uh, should be able uh, or will will do their best to try to get your data back. Yep. All right. Uh, moving in a different direction. Manual writes, I'm considering replacing my hard drive with an SSD and moving the current hard drive into the optical drive slot using a data doubler from Max Ailes, other world. Uh, I have a 2011 MacBook Pro and was planning on getting Apple Care before the year is up, but wanted to know if you have any idea whether doing this mod would kill my warranties. Uh, you want to you want to take this, John? My my guess is I, it would actually be helpful to to hear from one of our uh, uh, geniuses. And of course, as you geniuses know, feedback is always shared anonymously here, unless you choose otherwise. Uh, but uh, it would be good to hear what Apple does in a situation like that. Uh, even unofficially. So just well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to give you my take. Yeah, go ahead. Because, um, you know, I went through this, Dave, uh, somebody very close to me, um, you know, had a, a liquid spill event with their, uh, MacBook pro. Um, they live, they live with you right there in the house, don't they? It, you know, and it was a machine that if you didn't know better, you would think is my machine. Okay. <laughs> so, somebody else did this. Right. I understand. Um, so being, being the nice guy that I am, I offered to, to help, uh, repair the machine. So, you know, got a keyboard, mm-hmm. uh, ordered a keyboard from, I think it was, I fix it, uh, you know, replaced the damaged keyboard with a aftermarket, but you know, new looking keyboard sealed everything up. And there, there was no evidence. Uh, fortunately, uh, you know, there was no liquid damage inside the machine. It was only to the keyboard and the keyboard was replaced. And, and for all sakes and purposes, the machine was functioning as it had before. And then at some point in the future, maybe a year or two later, something else started acting up on the machine. And so, and the machine was under Apple Care, went to Apple. And uh, I, I would say in general, and please geniuses let us know, or people that work uh, at the repair facility, if they unchain you from your desk and you can talk to us. <laughs> um, if there's no evidence that work that you did on the machine caused the problem, or it's related to it, then I think you're okay. I, I don't, I wouldn't say that opening the machine and replacing something automatically voids your warranty, but say, for example, you open it up and you put in this device and all of a sudden your, uh, SATA bus gets fried. Okay. Then it may be because I assume now this, uh, I believe the newer machines. Now, if you put in one of these, uh, 
which one was this, Dave? Uh, it was the, the uh, it was something similar to the OptiBay, you know, something that converts your your media or data doubler. Your, okay, so yeah. data doubler. There's OptiBay, and and these are the two kits, and there may be more that yeah that that replace the optical drive. And and I believe now that the machines, I think in the past the optical drive had a different interface. Uh, I think now it's all SATA. Um, so that's why I say that is yep. uh, if there's evidence that work that you did damaged the part of the machine that, that is covered under Apple care, then they may refuse to, to fix it. Sounds reasonable to me. Like in my case, what happened was not a keyboard problem, even right. though the keyboard was a place. And they may have known that, that there was a, actually in my case, it was a either GPU or motherboard fault. And they replaced that part. They also did replace the keyboard and the uppercase assembly. Um, the only thing is that I don't think uh, I'm almost positive. If you send the machine in with an aftermarket modification like that, I think they may just send it right back to you. Yeah. I, I, I well, you know, it's interesting. I, I had an experience. I talked about it on the show back whenever it was a year ago, I sent my machine in cause it was acting kind of funky. It needed a new motherboard is essentially what it needed. And I had a third party SSD in there, uh, which right. it turns out uh, did eventually fail. And, uh, and I needed to get replaced, but, but, uh, but this was the first instance of it having any trouble and, but I didn't have any trouble here. I sent it in. Everything was fine. Uh, they called me up and they said, look, we can't repair this machine because the hard drive or the SSD is failing, but it's a third party SSD. And obviously we're not going to fix that for you. So send it back to us with the original hard drive in and, and we'll go ahead and fix everything. And, uh, and, and so I said, that's fine. Send it back to me. Of course they sent it back. Everything but the hard drive had been replaced. Now, the forms all said we did no work on it, which meant there was no warranty on anything that they had done, although it was still under Apple Care, so it didn't really matter. But uh, but they had replaced, I think, everything but the hard drive and the screen, the keyboard, the uppercase assembly, the logic board, um, you, you know, everything had had been overhauled, although the, the paperwork said nothing of the sort, which was just fascinating. So so they are there to take care of you. And uh, and they aren't looking to blame you unnecessarily for things that uh, that you've done. Yeah, like in my case, they. uh, There exists the possibility that anything that's in the machine that wasn't in there when you purchased it may cause a delay or may cause them to. Maybe halt the repair or send it back to you, right? That's in my case, they didn't. Like, for example, I sent the machine in. It had six gigabytes. That is not a uh, approved Apple configuration. Yeah. But they yeah. sent it back to me. Yeah, so, absolutely. Again, I would say maybe you, you want to keep the old parts just in case if you have to send it back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Our first sponsor for this show is Audio Engine at AudioEngineUSA.com. They are people that understand audio. Uh, they started with their... A5 speakers and uh, and then started making other things, including their A2s and even their unpowered speakers uh, out there. I really, really like the, the speakers that these folks have uh, here on my desk in the studio. I have what they call their bookshelf speakers. their A5s, which are the initial product that they have. Uh, these A5s are their individual speakers, uh, two individual uh, enclosures that inside have two speakers in them apiece. Uh, one of them has an amplifier that's enough to drive both. And so you plug one of them into the wall. You plug that same one into your Mac, your iPod, your stereo, whatever it is you want to hear. And uh, you can even plug it into a CD player or, or, or what have you. 
And uh, and these things are going to deliver fantastic sound for you, be it from MP3s or CDs or or whatever you've got pumping into this thing. Uh, of course, you can set the speakers basically as far apart as you might like uh, in uh, in the same room there because you you've got a cable that can run between them. They've got excellent response both on the high end and the low end. The the, the enclosures are tweaked to make the sound nice and warm. Uh, and they really are, as far as the bookshelf stuff goes, fantastic. They're three forty nine a pair for the for the uh, A fives, and awesome. Now the A twos are the smaller, the, if you if you will, the little brother, uh, and they do have you know the A fives definitely have a bigger sound, but I don't mean to say at all that the A twos have a uh, are lacking in any way. These things fill my house. We've got them. Well, we've had them in many different places, but uh, the favorite place to have them was in our study and kitchen area and they would just fill that area with sound that they're, they're much smaller uh they're what what are called desktop speakers and uh they are um they're about uh 10 inches high uh sorry they're six inches high yeah six inches high and about four inches wide and maybe about six inches deep so uh each and again two speakers inside two separate enclosures the same deal with the amplifier and one uh these are 199 but you can go to AudioEngineUSA.com, and as long as you buy at AudioEngineUSA.com, there's a couple things you can do. Number one, you can use the coupon code MGG10, T-E-N, and you can get 10% off. Number two, buying from AudioEngineUSA.com gets you the 30-day free audition, which means if you buy them from the website, and you got to buy them from them for this to qualify, uh, and you don't like them, which they know you're going to like them, which is why they do this, uh, you can send them back and get all your money back and they're totally fine. Uh, so check them out. AudioEngineUSA.com and, uh, and remember that coupon code MGG10. They would, uh, they would love to send you a set of speakers. All right. So uh, John, you know, we always have questions that, uh, that somehow fit into a, uh, into some sort of cohesive uh, mold each week. Uh-huh. And, uh, and this week, you know, and sometimes I think we, we impose that mold on them and sometimes it just sort of materializes. And this week it's probably an imposed mold, but uh, we've got a group of questions coming up here that, you know, I've been on a, a spending tear lately, I guess, uh, buying both the new 27 uh, inch iMac. And then, and then I got the 11 inch MacBook air not that long ago. And, mm-hmm. uh, and we've got a slew of questions that, uh, that sort of relate to a lot of things I've been through setting up, uh, both of these new machines. So, uh, so we'll, we'll go through them and, uh, and, and we'll see where we get with this stuff. So Jordan writes, uh, I just bought my second Mac ever and I'm feeling a bit underwhelmed. I had a 20 inch aluminum iMac with a 2.4 gigahertz core two duo and six gigs of Ram. The new machine is the base model 27 inch iMac. With four gigs of RAM, uh, I know Lion has some quirks, but it seems to run okay. Seem to run okay on the old machine, but not much has changed on the new one. Uh, doesn't seem any faster. I began poking around an activity monitor, and noticed that in the memory section, the virtual memory size was listed at three hundred seven gigabytes. And Jordan even sent along a screenshot. Uh, the large virtual memory number scares me, but based on some research, that appears not to be of concern. However, the huge page ins and page outs do scare me a bit. Uh, do I have something running amok on my system? All right. So what he's talking about here is if you go into Activity Monitor and at the bottom, uh, there are five tabs and one of them is System Memory. We've been through this before, uh, but there are really, as far as I'm concerned, there are two numbers here that matter. Uh, number one is the amount of free RAM 
that you have available at any given point in time. And that's going to be top left if you organize these numbers. And then number two, uh, also important, is the one at the very bottom of the right column called swap used. Uh, and and he, the screenshot that you sent, Jordan, only has one of those numbers, but that's okay. Uh, swap used for him is listed at 2.99 gigabytes. Uh, so let's talk about what these numbers mean. Free RAM is uh, the amount of memory that is unused by anything on your system and absolutely ready to be assigned. In my experience, if that number gets down below a 50 megabytes is about where uh, the system likes to keep it because it will use all the available Ram to cache things. But if it starts pushing down below that 50 megabytes number, it means you're running out or it could mean that you're running out the way, you know, is if you look at your swap used number, which is arguably even more important than the free RAM number, because that tells you how much space on your disk is in use at that moment by the system because it needed more RAM than you have. And, uh, and in, you know, that number in theory, that number should never grow much above a hundred or 200 megabytes. Uh, if it is in the gigabytes, as it is with Jordan, you need more RAM. And, my feeling is with, with an iMac and John, I look to you to chime in, but uh, my feeling with an iMac and really any Mac is four, four gigs is enough if you're not doing a whole lot with it. Uh, but as soon as you're starting to do, you know, lots and lots of things, uh, then I recommend going up now on my new one. I got Ram from, uh, from Ramjet actually this time around fully Apple spec'd out Ram. And, uh, and I added another eight gigs to my machine. So I've got 12 gigs, which is, really really nice actually and um and so i you know I, that that would be my recommendation is is to go and and get you know get more ram so uh, john uh, uh, i'm assuming your thoughts are going to be along the same lines but uh, but you always have it <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know me too well yes i do but you don't no so i i i'm going to clear or i'm i'm not going to disagree with you but i'm going to point at some other areas to look at here okay so the one area that would concern me, so page outs. So first off, he, he said he was concerned about page ins and page outs. Page ins, don't be concerned about those. Those are inconsequential. Those will always be happening. But page outs, especially if you see that number increasing, and actually this is a good diagnostic tool. If you see that number increasing while you're looking at it, then whatever you're doing is causing the machine to be writing out to disk mm. and, and utilizing swap. So to me, that's an important number to keep an eye on. If you want to figure out what have you just done that causes the machine to start swapping. The other thing is that I would agree with you uh, for the most part about swap used. However, it can grow and shrink. So right. that's true. I would say if, if that that's number true. consistently stays high and, and it's going to depend on your work style, as we've mentioned before, but we'll mention it again. If you're not using an app, quit it. And that yeah, will free up memory. Totally. Um, some people's work style, and I've seen it. It's not easy sometimes with the Mac. It, it may not be obvious that an app is running. Well, and you know, with, with, uh, and with, and what, what I'll add to your, if you're not using an app, quit it. I'll also add with some apps, even if you are using them, quit them. And Safari is a classic example of this. It will oh, blow pig. up. Yeah. Well, there's, it's, I, I still believe there are massive memory leaks in that stupid thing, but uh, whether or not they're, they are quit it and relaunch it. Now the, the beauty is with lion uh, 
quitting it and relaunching it has almost no impact on your web habits, right? Because it keeps all your tabs and windows and all that stuff, but it will refresh Ram uh, in a really fast way for you. So that that's, you know, sorry. That, right. That's so the swap, the swap may, uh, and then the other figure here, inactive. Well, inactive is memory that may be ready to be reclaimed, but I'm, I'm with you that the free number, if that gets too low, then, then you're, you're in a, you're in big trouble. And I think a good number here, uh, I got to say that when I went from four, which is the official amount supported on the MacBook Pro to six, it made a world of difference. And I noticed a lot less swapping. I, you it know still what? happens sometimes, especially if I launch VMware, because I, I typically allocate four gigs to the virtual machine. And of course, the machine has six, but I like to have uh, enough breathing room in my uh, virtual environment uh, when I'm running Windows. Um. But no, so I have six in the MacBook Pro, and then thanks to the uh, folks at Crucial, I believe, Crucial uh, helped me out here with the Mini. Eight is a wonderful number in the Mini. I, I've never had a performance issue that I could attribute to not having enough RAM. Oh, uh, yeah. So I think eight is a, is a great number. Six is the most I can get in the MacBook Pro, so that's a great number, too. <laughs> right, right, right. But four is, a, a, well, I, you, you remember when I got the Mini, I'm like, you know, it came with two. And I'm like, you know, let me see how long I can tolerate that. And it wasn't long. Didn't take long, no. It yeah, no, so almost this, immediately. This new Go. iMac is interesting because it's, it, you know, Jordan and I have effectively the same machine. My, mine's a little faster, but, uh, you know, it's the same architecture. And so it's got four memory slots in it. And, uh, and, and so I, I had two, two gigabyte chips that came with it, which is presumably what Jordan has. So you could add two more twos. It, you know, it's not like the old iMacs where, uh, you only had two slots and so you had to take everything out or oh. replace it. Right. You could add two twos to this for relatively cheap money. And, uh, and then now you're up to eight, you know, so, so that's a beautiful thing. And, and these do uh, reap the benefits of um, matched memory. So they say to, uh, to make sure that you've got them matched. Uh, really? Yeah. It's, really? Um, yep. Because I thought some of the earlier iMacs did not for some bizarre reason. No, they didn't because it was only two. They, they only had two chips. Right? They only had two sockets, <sighs> right? So these have four and, and they will reap the rewards of, uh, you know, a slight performance. Dual ch- I think dual channel is what it's called. That's also. right. Dual channel. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. So I think you're essentially getting a larger memory, a sized memory bus. Yeah. So it's moving I, more data. If data, if, if memory serves, I think the way it works is, is there's, um, there's obviously four slots. Two are on the, the front of the machine and two are toward the back of it. I mean, they're, they're right on top of each other there, but effectively you get two in the front and two in the back. And I think it's, uh, the two front ones are together and the two back ones are together. So, but just look, when you open it up, they do put them in dual channel configuration when you get your Mac. So just don't take those out, put the, get two of the same size, pop them in and, uh, and you should be good to go. So that's my, that's my theory. Uh, I support your theory. Good. All right. Moving on to Robert. And I need to pull this up because I had all sorts of other things up that we were looking up here. So um, Robert writes, uh, can you, would you please do a short primer on how to effectively use an SSD external drive with a Mac to make it faster? I don't know what files should be on the SSD and what should go on the spinning hard drive. Uh, 
what what should go there? The OS, my applications, my active documents, some combination thereof. Is it better to use an SSD as the internal drive and a spinning drive as the external? Okay. So I said this was related to what I've been through uh, recently, and it's because yeah. I did. I ordered the machine. My iMac has the SSD and the internal spinning drive. So I've got 256 on an SSD and a terabyte on the um, uh, on the on the on the spindle drive. What's interesting is, you know, Apple on on the website, as you're ordering this, they say, oh, it'll you know, they make this sound really great. You know, you're going to get this thing and you can put your documents here and your system there and you can. But that drive, as I've mentioned, comes totally blank. Uh, that spindle drive, everything's on the SSD, 100 hmm. percent. And and by default, everything will keep saving to the SSD. So uh, now that that doesn't immediately address Robert's question, but it is interesting that Apple's pushing this configuration and yet not really doing anything, at least not at the factory. I'm sure if I brought it in, they would support me, but they're not doing anything at the factory to to set things up differently. My feeling is put your operating system, your applications um, and, and, you know, and at a minimum, those two things on the SSD and, and life will be faster. <laughs> the more you can fit on there, the better, but things like things like your iTunes library probably don't need to go on the SSD that you can offload. iPhoto probably would work faster. And we've had this conversation before. We're not going to go too deep into it. Um, I think it was show was it three forty seven. I think we talked about this, but, um, you know, iPhoto, i iTunes, and your iMovie stuff that I'd keep on your spindle drive and even your, your regular documents. Cause they're relatively small and you're not loading them. You know, you're loading. Really? Them one at a, yeah. Cause you're only loading them one at a time. It's not going to make a big difference, but you know, the operating mm. system where you've got tons and tons of small files loading all in a row as it starts up makes a huge difference. So that's, well, you know, that's my feeling. I respect your feelings. Mm -hmm. Like the first thing I thought, I didn't blurt it out because I, I was going to wait for you to say it. And, and you did. What's that? I think we have a, a mind link going on here. That's good. The one thing I said is you always, at the very least, you want to keep your system folder and your applications in the same, on the same drive. I would say that's going to eliminate headaches. Yeah. I think they really rely on each other. So I would never recommend separating your system folder and your applications folder. I yeah. think that, that that's just going to cause grief and the system's going to get confused as far as the other things. <sighs> The one thing to me is that the, the strength of an SSD, so I see SSDs have two strengths. One is that they, they're far superior to a spindle drive or mechanical or rotational drive when you're accessing lots of itty-bitty tiny files. This is where rotational drives uh, fail. And that, they're just, that there's, so much, that there's so much work to do and they just can't do it as efficiently as an SSD. So applications where you have lots of little files that you're shuffling around or applications where perhaps you have a package, which as we know, or if you don't know, a package is actually a folder that's probably full of a lot of uh, maybe little or larger files like iPhoto or Aperture or probably some of the other things like iMovie and some of those other apps. But the other strength of the SSD is that it can also move large amounts of data relatively quicker than a rotational hard drive. So, yeah. That's my recommendation on what the SSD would be best for performance wise. We'll put a link in the show notes. Ted Landau uh, back in April did a nice little roundup mm -hmm. on, uh, on this as he oh, added an SSD okay. to an existing Mac pro. And uh, it's a, a lot of the same questions answered to, to speak to Robert's question about whether it's 
best to have the SSD internal or the spindle drive internal. If you only have the choice of doing one, um, you know, I, I, I realize the stats uh, might, might lead you to believe that it, it, it would matter in a general sense. I saw no noticeable day to day performance huh. improvement, moving the SSD from, uh, frankly, just USB two into the SATA bus. I definitely saw an improvement. Really? Yeah. I definitely saw really? an improvement when doing, you know, benchmark tests of the speed of the drive, right? No question about it. I mean, it was, you know, not an order of magnitude, but almost, I got, I was getting, you know, 30 or 40 megabytes a second on the USB. Cause that's what it maxes out at. And then I was getting, you know, 130, uh, uh with the benchmarks, but, Real world time to boot up, time to launch apps, all of that. It made absolutely no difference whether it was on USB or not, because you're never hitting the full speed of the drive. Um, you, you, you know, it's just it's just the 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 latency, the lower latency of accessing the files was what what made the difference for me when I, when I did it on the MacBook Pro. And I timed it. OK, I mean, there's no. Yeah, all right. Yeah my, yeah. my experience has been different. And that I do find the USB bus a bottleneck. Okay. Yeah. No, I've done some, uh, you know, I bet you believe us. that too. No. <laughs> and no. you know what? I actually have data that proves that I'm not hallucinating. All right. Well, there you go. No, like as far as app launching. No, I, 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 no, I'm surprised you said that because I mean, you know, you're talking a SATA two bus probably depending on what Mac you have. Yep. Which is in theory, three gigabits a second. If you're talking SATA two, right. And I think SATA three is six gigabits per second in theory. Right. You're never going to reach that that fast. Right. Right. Oh, no, they don't. Not yet. But, uh, you know, USB two being 480 megabits per second, I would see as a potential bottleneck and especially USB. And if you're looking for that bottleneck, I have no doubt you will find it. Right. But but in terms of just (laughs) no, seriously, I I think I really believe, again, if you're moving large, huge files around, you're definitely going to see it. But in terms of just booting up and launching apps, I I really didn't see it. Now, there might be, uh, you know, it might be, uh, let's say for the sake of argument, let's say it's 10 seconds to launch an app from a spindle hard drive and, you know, a second and a half to launch that same app from an SSD on USB and, you know, a second and maybe a quarter to launch that app uh, from the same SSD. Once it's moved to the internal spindle again, I'm sure you can find it, but it wasn't it to me and boot up time was the same way. I really didn't notice any difference um, that wasn't, you know, right. either a margin of error or attributable to perhaps other factors, you know, cause booting up every time is slightly different anyway. So, yeah, yeah, I never really. Uh, okay. And it could have All been right. the SSD I was using, too. It might, you know, might not have mattered. So. Okay. My, yeah. uh, from what I've seen, I would definitely choose to put the SSD on a SATA bus. Yeah. Yeah. Over, then, over putting the hard drive on that SATA bus. Yes. Okay. Okay. Rotational hard drive. Right. Yes. Rotational. Hard drive. Yeah. Mechanical. Yeah. Yes. yes. If, if I had a choice. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I would, I would agree with that. Why not? Right. I mean, you know, it gives you, it gives you the best throughput option. Now, of course, if that process means ripping the machine apart to swap the SSD and the SATA drive, I wouldn't bother unless it was a laptop and you were going to move it around. But if it was just an iMac, I I honestly wouldn't bother with it, but on an iMac, I'd put it on the Firewire bus. Mm -hmm. You get, you know, slightly Mm -hmm. faster, 
but otherwise I'd, I would, I'd leave it alone. I wouldn't muck with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I, I had a wonder <laughs> when Duffy and I went inside his uh, wife's older iMac. I mean, that's a fun machine to get into. Actually, it's quite, did you, you use the, did you use the, 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 the suction cups to pull the screen off? Yes, because uh, as I think we discussed, the uh, the front the, the the glass that covers the display is held in place, not by glue, but by uh, a whole series of very powerful tiny little magnets. Yeah. yeah, that was probably the scariest part. Is you know, am I pulling too hard? Am I not pulling hard enough? And uh, no, he bought uh, two suction cups and just pulled. And at one point, it just pop. I bought I bought two of those. I figure I have enough IMAX around that at some point, you know, (laughs) well, it's going to what's going to happen is it's going to be, you know, some Saturday evening when something goes wrong. And I think, oh, I got to get in there and fix this. And so I just bought two of those suction cups from Amazon and uh, and I'm ready to go. But I'm too chicken to just mess around now. Yeah, I will give a caution because uh, one of the the folks, uh, Matt, I think we we met him at Macworld. Um, Okay, he just got. A uh, one of the new iMacs, and I just want to offer this caution because he ran into this, and I said, you know, I heard there's this issue with the newer iMacs because he's like, you know what, I'm going to upgrade my hard drive into my iMac, mm. and I'm like, watch out, man, and he ran into this. Apparently, some of the newer iMacs have a somewhat custom hard drive, yes, and the temperature sensor, and he ran into this. I think he tried to replace the drive, and the new drive uh, apparently because it didn't contain this custom temperature sensor. Uh, the the end result, end result is basically when you turn the machine on, it, it, it thinks something is wrong. And so it, it it fires up the fans at full speed and it sounds like it's going to blast off. Oh, nice. And I think he found a way to get around it. I think there are people now that are selling kits that will will offer a what looks like a correct temperature sensor. And I think it actually acts as a temperature sensor. But caution for people replacing the hard drive in their IMAX. Um, you may run into this. Cool. Um. You know, I, while we're at it, I'm jumping all over the place. We both are today. It's it's uh, it's a tangential show. Uh, I mentioned that I was going to do a standing desk for my iMac. You know, did I did I tell you this? I I think I alluded to it. I see at you. some point. Now, a standing desk is a, a no chair. Correct. I I've, I now long Why would time. Why you want to do that? All right. Well, here's here's the thing. So this Speak is worth to me. it. Yeah. Uh, Longtime listeners to Matt Geekab will remember that when we first started the show shortly afterwards, uh, once we got up, settled in here in New, in New Hampshire, uh, I actually did the show standing for probably six months until the studio was finished and we moved up here and where I've got the computer set up in this alcove here. It's not really conducive to standing or at least not easily. Uh, so I've been sitting since then doing the show at home. But I did the show standing and I had like a little ghetto set up. I had the IMAX set up on a on a uh, you know milk crate or whatever. And it was fine. I mean, I was using it once a week and then I had to set it down because Lisa was also using that machine to do our bookkeeping and all that. Uh, but I did have experience with it and I liked it. In fact, I really miss it when we're doing the show because I'm kind of an active, crazy person and it's nice to be standing up. And so for the past, I don't know, six months or so, I've been really antsy at my desk and I've been, you know, uncomfortable and it, the chair is fine. I've got a relatively new chair. I've got an air on chair. I mean, it, you know, it's all good stuff, but I just was antsy sitting. And so when I got this new iMac, I thought, you know, let me investigate this again. So I did. I set up a total ghetto setup and I'm going to we're going to post an article that, that shows some of the pictures because I took some you know, before and after shots, if you will. And, uh, you know, I had it up on a milk crate and I had the keyboard and the mouse up on, you know, old big boxes and file boxes or whatever, just to get it up to the right height on a, on a traditional, you know, desk. And I rolled the chair away and I put a nice pad down and I stood on that 
And it was a twofold experiment. Number one, it was to see if I liked standing at all. And then the, the second part was how much did I like standing? How, you know, did I want to do it half the day? You know, most of the day, just a little bit of the day. And as it turns out, I love standing and I never wanted to sit down. And it took about three days after day two, my legs were a little sore, uh, but by about day three and certainly by day four, uh, you know, I had adjusted to it and it was totally fine. And so after about two weeks of that, uh, I decided, all right, it's time to place an order for a desk. And I thought, well, because I want to stand all the time, I don't need an adjustable desk. And so I started looking around for just a standing desk because I figured I could save some money. And I really couldn't find a, a standing desk that was going to work for me that was just fixed height. Although I found a couple and that was when I realized that I needed an adjustable desk because it asked me, what height do you want? And I started thinking about it, you know, with a fixed height sitting desk, I can adjust the chair up and down to get things where I want them. But when I'm standing up, I can't adjust myself to get myself where I want to be in front of the desk. So I need to be able to adjust the desk to get to the height I need it to. And I need very, you know, uh, minor adjustments to be made. And with that, I needed an adjustable desk, not necessarily to sit, although the one I got, I could sit at. Uh, but to get it to that perfect height and also to be able to adjust it, just like you do with your chair. Sometimes you decide, oh, you know what? I want my chair a little higher today or whatever. So, uh, so I did, I went to ergodepot.com and, uh, and I ordered a desk and, uh, I'll find the model for those of you interested. Uh, if you go to ergodepot.com and, and look at their adjustable desks, I'm trying to figure out what I got here. I got a, uh, medium duty adjustable desk and I got the, I got one with a little cutout. So it's a, it's a rectangular tabletop with a, a little cutout kind of in the middle of one of the long sides that I can sort of, you know, belly up to, if you will. And, uh, and it's really comfortable. It's really great. It's a electric, uh, desk it goes up or down. Uh, you, <laughs> you don't press just one button, John, you press two. And this is clearly not their first rodeo because, you have to press both buttons simultaneously to get the desk to go up or down, which keeps you from accidentally leaning on a button and moving things unintentionally, which was, I thought was really smart, but, uh, but it went together really easily. And, uh, Lucas, my son and I put it together and we were, uh, we were up and good to go. So I, I love this thing. And like I said, I'll post some pictures of it, but it, it really, it's great standing up all day. So that's, um, again, little tangent, but, here you go. That's all right. Yeah, that's all right. Relevant. I babble. You go on tangents. It's all good. It's all good. Um, now they don't have. A, I'm surprised they didn't use three buttons. Kind of like Control Alt Delete. <laughs> no. Yeah, it, it's it's good enough with two. Although what was funny, you would appreciate this, John. When we were putting it together, Lucas and I were here in the office, and we sort of built the stand, and then you, you know, eventually once you're all done, you, you know, you screw the desktop onto the the, the tabletop onto the the stand. And so we put this thing together and, and, you know, got it all put together. And there's an axle kind of that you put into it because the motor's on one side and has to spin both sides. And so we got that all, you know, lined up and we're screwing it all together. And finally it was time to plug it in. And so we plug it in and immediately the desk starts moving up. And Lucas and I look at each other and we're like, uh, what's going on here? And we realized we had plugged it in without the switch being in line. We had shorted the, you know, the, the motor directly to the power source. 
But uh, we had to figure that out pretty quickly because we didn't know what would happen once it got to the top of its range. I wasn't sure if it would try to keep going, you know, where the cutoff was. Was it in the switch? Was it somewhere else? So we had to, you know, yank it apart. But that was a fun little moment. But it works fine. You know, we just didn't follow the direction. All right. Yep. Uh, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, right. Of course. Yeah. I mean, we followed enough of the directions. It was time, you know, to, uh, we had to just start. Well, to me, you know, it should be intuitive. I mean, when, when yeah, I get it, something it I got to put together, yeah. I, I usually dive in and just see if I can figure it out myself. Yeah. I don't do that with <laughs> furniture because, you know, it, I did that recently with furniture, but it was pretty straightforward. It was okay. a, it was a small table to put on my porch. Yeah. And it was pretty straightforward. Four legs, you know, two circles and eight bolts. There was, there was hardly any way one could go wrong. It was pretty intuitive as to what went where. Huh. Cool. But maybe now, on the other hand, uh, some of the IKEA stuff from what I've seen that that I don't think you want to dive in and try to put it together because you're going. You, well, you could create a new work of art, but you could all. <laughs> You could be putting your life at risk too. Well, that's the thing. Or you might wind up, you know, using the wrong part in one spot and then you're, you're screwed. You know, it's a pun intended right later on because you're out, you, you know, you use that one bolt in one spot and you needed it here. And now, uh Oh, you know, you're done. So that, that's why I would, th- with that stuff I've learned, you gotta, you gotta just, you know, follow the directions and you'll be done. It'll be good. All right. Where All right. are we going here? Uh, we're going to go back to the agenda here and uh, find Kyron. Hi, John and Dave. It's Kyron here from Dublin, Ireland. Um, have a quick question for you, Re Lion and the new full screen mode. Um, I'm currently operating an iMac 24 inch late 2008 model, and I have an external display hooked up to that one. Um, but one of the things that really bugs me about the new line, so maybe it's a little fish shake, not a big fish shake, maybe a little one, but when I enter full screen on any of those new apps, for example, mail or, you know, um, calendar or address book or anything like that, my my external display just goes to the gray texture. And I'm wondering, is there a way to get your external display to remain as is or use it in a kind of a proper two monitor configuration mode? So essentially what I'm left with at the moment is if I enter full screen in any of the new apps or any compatible apps with the full screen, I'm sure it's an API or something like that, I get a grayed out second display. So it means having a second display is kind of irrelevant for full screen in line. Um, So I'm not sure if it can be done or if it can be resolved. Maybe it's a setting or something that I've missed or I'm having one of those moments. I'm not sure. Uh, But any help you could give me would be great. And uh, this is where you cut me off. And off you are cut, Karen. Uh, Yeah. So I um, you're right. But I noticed this when I had plugged a, you know, lion laptop into an external monitor or whatever that it, you know, when you're in full screen mode, it's exactly as as you describe uh, so I reached out, John, I, I, uh, sent a note to the, the busy Cal guys because they're, I started thinking, well, what third party apps are supporting, you know, full screen mode and busy Cal was the only one that I could think of. And so I asked him, John, uh, uh, Chafee and, and Dave Riggle, I said, you know, do you, is there a way? Cause your app does the same thing. And they said, yep, that's how it works. Uh, must be the way Apple wants it because we don't have any APIs, to uh, to set the behavior any differently, uh, we just invoke full screen mode, and you know the op. There is no 
option when we invoke it to, you know, allow things on the other screen or not. It just takes over. So, yeah, it I I think Apple's intention with full screen mode is for a smaller screen. Right. You know, and I mentioned it with that 11 inch air. The more things I can put into full screen mode, the better, because I don't need dock and menu bar and all that stuff. It's kind of like taking dock hiding, you know, on steroids. Right. And and then you can just swipe between apps and it's great. But I will say that on my even on my big iMac, uh, I don't use full screen mode for much. I certainly don't need it for mail or Safari or anything. I don't need those taking up a full screen. But to see Busy Cal in a two week uh, spread out calendar mode at full size on that 27 inch screen is awesome. I, I mean, I, I'm crazy. I live by my calendar, but uh, but that is the only app I use in full screen mode. And I love it on the uh, on the iMac. But again, I don't have an external display on it, so it's not driving me crazy. Uh, otherwise, it would. And it's too bad. And it's why I didn't use full screen mode previously when I had my you know MacBook Pro up, hooked up to the cinema display because, it, you know, it's like. Just totally renders the opposite display useless, which stinks. Hopefully they'll change that. It would be nice to have full screen on one monitor and, and not on the other, but that's, you know, that's not how sure. it works. Yeah. All right. Uh, time to hear from Doug, John. We, uh, we talked to Doug in show three fifty four, and and he wants to come back and show three fifty five here, which Hi, is Doug. right Hi. where we are. Yeah. Hi, John and Dave and Pilot Pete. It's Doug from Toronto. A quick follow-up question. You just helped me with some suggestions on migrating from a Mac Pro to a new iMac and not necessarily having the two machines in the same spot. A third option would be just to start fresh and bring over just what I needed and get rid of 10 years of craft. What's the best way of doing that, or is it more trouble than it's worth, and should I just stick with Migration Assistant? Thanks very much. Here comes my email. All right. Um, I don't think it's... I think it's a lot easier to manually migrate than everyone thinks, myself included. Uh, <sighs> every time I do it... What? Oh, yeah. It Look, it's not that hard. You, you start with a fresh install of the OS, obviously, uh, that's the whole point. And uh, and then you reinstall your apps or you re-download them or whatever. Okay. All right. Because I was shocked because, yes, I, I was thinking that you were proposing because this is where I think a lot of the work is. If you're going to try to manually migrate your apps over, no. which is not only bringing the app over, but it, as we've discussed, or if, if you don't remember, just dragging the app over is usually not sufficient to get it because there's this other stuff. There's, there's kernel extensions, perhaps there's application support stuff in the library folder. There's uh, just look in the library folder. If you can get to it, especially if you're running lion, Yeah, but apps aren't supposed to put things there on install though. So in theory, you should, it should, and this is not true with all apps, but you should be able to copy the app over and, and be Um, okay with, some apps, yeah. No, right. I'm with you on that. Right. But, but you're some right. will put things yep. in various places. And I think, as, as we discussed, Apple is moving away from that, especially with the App Store, and that everything should be in one place. And, and I think that's a good approach. But just the history of, of Unix, which is right. what Mac OS X is based on, things are scattered about, whether it be plist files or 
Yep. You know, library, application support, all that stuff. So I'm with you. All right. As long as you're not suggesting people try to manually migrate their apps, then I'm then I'm okay. With yeah, no, so I think far. I think reinstalling the apps is a is a part of getting rid of that cruft. Right. You know, OK, it, there's which to me in and of itself is a pain in the neck because, well, if you bought it from the app store, that's cool. It's easy. But if you downloaded it, let's hope that you kept the download. Uh, if you got yeah. it on a DVD, let's hope you kept the DVD. If it has one of those annoying key codes, let's hope you know where you kept that. That's where I see this becoming more and more of a task because there's so many different ways that you can acquire apps and install them. And again, there's different forms of DRM that uh, you may have to uh, go back to that. That's the one big pain in the neck yeah. I've had when I've moved from one machine to another is all of a sudden, I mean, sometimes like even the, I, I put the new SSD in my MacBook pro, a lot of apps are upset enough because the UUID or whatever, the unique identifier for the drive and the machine are not what the app remembers. So it's like up oh, like office office does this. Continuously. Oh, office. You got to reinstall office ca- media. Well, office yeah. comes up and it says, Oh yeah. Hi. Uh, you got to activate me again. And I'm like, Oh man, I got to type in the key again. Yeah. Because a lot of things key on not only the machine ID, but the hard drive ID. So, so that's where, uh, where, where I see this task snowballing. So um, yeah, no, I, I think, I think installing, uh, you know, reinstall the OS, reinstall the apps, copy over your documents folder, uh, your music, your your photo library. And then the only thing that I would go and get out of the library folder is the mail folder, because that's where your email stored. Um, hmm. But otherwise, I'd, I'd do my darndest to leave it alone. Regardless, I think and we talked about this, in, you know, to kind of strain string the conversation together here from 354. I think you still are going to want to have a clone of your old hard drive around uh, for a little while, especially if you choose to do the not migration assistant route, because there will be some things where you say, oops, I need that file. You know, I forgot to copy that one over and it's cake. If you've got a clone right there, you just plug the drive in or mount it, you know, however you would do it if it's on a network or whatever, copy it over, unmount it and you're safe. So that's, that's what I would do there. You know, John, our uh, our second sponsor for this show is Gazelle at Gazelle.com. Awesome. We've got a lot of rumors of that uh, iPhone 5 coming around. And Gazelle, I actually saw a piece on Gazelle in, I think it was CNET uh, the other day, where they were saying that uh, they're seeing a huge influx of people coming and selling their old iPhones now, even before this new one is announced or, or obviously even released. But, uh, but yeah, you go there, Gazelle.com, uh, check it out. You, t- you type in your uh, what you have, you know, so if it's an if it's an iPhone, you type in iPhone, because let's face it, that iPhone is worth more today than it is once the new one's announced. Uh, it's, that's just the way that's the way the world works. So uh, so if you if you are planning on getting the five and somehow can live without a phone, uh, now's the time uh, to go and, and you type it in, you know, whatever you've got, even if it's, you know, uh, if you've got, you know, an old Kindle in the drawer or whatever old iPods, type it in at gazelle.com, uh, answer a couple of questions. They'll tell you what it's worth. Uh, then they'll, they'll pay for shipping in most cases. In a lot of cases, they'll even ship you a box if you need it. And, uh, and then they'll get it. They'll evaluate it. Assuming it matches and everything agrees, they'll ship you a check. If it doesn't agree, they'll let you know. And, uh, if you don't like what they're telling you, then they'll just ship it back. No cost to you. And you're good to go. Gazelle.com the place to go and get your gadgets, uh, turn your gadgets into cash and 
send them off to a good home as opposed to just throwing them away. So you're environmentally correct as well. Gazelle. Absolutely. I, I ran into their chief gadget officer recently. Hey, cool. They, they do have a chief gadget officer. They, they do. <laughs> All right. So let's, um, let's go on to a couple of tips here, John. We've got, uh, we've got a couple oh, related to yeah. 354. You know, one thing I found, uh, and, and this was a question because I had my new MacBook Air over at the house and the power supply mm-hmm. for it was here. Now, it comes with a 45-watt power supply, um, but it, with a standard Apple MagSafe connector, you know. And so I, I'm at the house and I'm looking at the charger for Lisa's MacBook Pro, which is an 85-watt adapter. I'm thinking, looks the same, uh, certainly will fit the same, but... Am I going to now, blow up my MacBook Air by plugging this into it? Well, you know, to, to me, Dave, instinctually, I would say if you can plug it into a receptacle, yep, shouldn't it be okay? That was my feeling, but I also didn't want to blow up my MacBook Pro. Oh, of course not. Or my MacBook Air, right? Your your new toy. I mean, yeah. no, of course not. Right. So uh, I. You got to think that they did design around that, which is, at exactly. worst, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't, correct. you know, give it a surge of power. Because as you're pointing out, the, the uh, different adapters have different power ratings. Correct. 40, 65, or whatever you mentioned yeah. there. 40, so 45, 60, and 85 are with the MagSafe come in. Right. right. So one would assume that it's not going to pump in too much power because without getting into a double E degree, the device that's receiving the power should be able to limit it with some component and hopefully, well, at worst, maybe you'll blow it up. So, so I can understand your concern. Yeah. Well, there, the, the concern was, was uh, valid, but unfounded in that uh, Apple did exactly what we all would expect them to do. And yep, you can plug any MagSafe uh, adapter into any Mac. Now, here's where things get in and you won't damage any of the Macs. So mm-hmm. it, that's important to know. With my MacBook Air, the MacBook Air requires 45 watts, so it will charge when I plug it into a 45, and it will charge when I plug it into anything else. It won't charge any faster uh, with an 85 watt, but it will charge, and everything works fine. If, however, I take my MacBook Pro, which requires 85, and I plug it into the 45, it will plug in, but it will never begin to charge because there's not enough power coming in to run the machine and charge it simultaneously. So uh, there's, you know, there's not enough of an offset there to, to, to net positive, but it will take power from it and, and use that power instead of the battery and, you know, all that stuff. So, so uh, will you see the machine? Uh, will it indicate that it's not charging yes. somewhere? Yeah. Okay. So, so if you use one of the utilities or I, I suppose dig in the system profiler, it will say, not charging. Well, you don't even have to do that. Just look at the MagSafe connector and it will say. Oh, right. Oh, uh, so light be, will not be on. It'll be green, not orange. Orange indicates charging. Green just indicates that it's on. Got it. Oh, well, isn't that clever? Yep. Okay. So uh, that and, it, you know, this knowledge base article, it certainly exists. Uh, and, and we'll, of course, link to it in the show notes. But it was hard to find this. Uh, doing a simple search for it did not instantly yield this knowledge base article. And I really wanted an answer from Apple. I didn't want an answer from, you know, some dude, right. Uh, that posted on some forum somewhere or some dude like us, right. You know, we, you got to back it up with something. And so this is the backup. Apple says it's good. You're golden. If you blow it up and you won't. Uh, but if you did, you know, you could cite this knowledge base and say, Hey man, you know, I did what I wanted to what you said to do. So, all right. 
Another very interesting thing, and we alluded to this in the last show. We got an email from James, and uh, and James said uh, in show 354, Joe was having trouble saving mail attachments, and you told him that repairing permissions only repaired system-wide permissions, and in order to repair user-level permissions, uh, you had to do that differently. It used to be, and we started talking about access control list, ACLs, uh, and all of that. Now, in Snow Leopard and prior, you could boot from the system DVD. And once you were at the first menu that comes up when you finish booting from the system DVD, you can go to the utilities menu. And one of the options there is called a reset password. If you run that utility, it actually has two purposes. Number one, you can reset your password. Number two, once you've chosen a user account, you can reset ACLs back to their defaults. Now, ACLs are, again, oversimplifying, but effectively all the permissions on your user folder. And uh, and that's what it will do. Fast forward now to present day. We have Lion. Lion, uh, you can boot the recovery partition. There's a couple ways to do it, but one very interesting way that I did not know, so this is a double tip, is you can boot up and hold down Command and R just as the system chimes that will launch the recovery partition and you get to that menu. And certainly there's a utilities menu, but there is no reset password option in the lion uh, recovery partition utilities menu. Joe, however, uh, sorry, James, however, pointed out that if you choose terminal from that, and once you get to the terminal type all together, both words, no space, reset password and press enter. It will launch the reset password utility and you can do the same thing. It's just not available there in the menu. So that's how you re reset your user level permissions in Lion. And I had no idea that this was the way it was, John. And we're going to be posting an MGG answers article about this so that everybody can find it on the web too. So, yeah, I've been noticing uh, some of those. Uh yeah, Tri so, trickling out. Yeah, they are trickling out. Finally, and we have a MGG Jim uh, listener and uh, all around awesome guy. And Jim has been really helping out with uh, with getting those MGG answers pub articles published. For for those of you that aren't aware, because it's been up until recently, like a year since we published them. Uh, we got frustrated because we're answering some great questions here in the show. And there's some fantastic information, but it's frankly tough to search inside a podcast and people that are searching for answers to similar questions aren't going to find this show necessarily. And that's a shame uh, because th the answers are there. We've already gone through it. We've already, you know, crafted these answers. So we wanted to get them out. And so we started Mac geek Gab answers where we take individual questions from the show and, uh, and put them out there in text so that, uh, you know, helps promote the show too, of course, but, uh, but it really gets those answers out there. And MGG Jim has stepped in, and is doing a fantastic job. Uh, so much more than I expected. Not that, uh, not that I didn't expect great things, but uh, but Jim has blown me, blown us away here. So thank you, Jim. And indeed, thank you, Jim. Yeah, there's some great articles coming out. So uh, so expect to see more of those. Absolutely. And Jim's the one that's gonna. He wants to post our. Uh, he wants to start doing uh, a Mac users desktops. And so I told him we'd do mine first, and we could do the before and after with the uh, the standing desk and all that stuff. So we'll we'll kick that off, and and he's gonna spearhead that for us too. So. Thank you very much, Jim. So uh, that's that. 
Uh, Joe, Joe has an interesting little tip for us. Something I ne- never Let's thought see. of. Yeah. So, oh, he does. Uh. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase Joe's story here. Uh, Joe has uh, a uh, 15 inch MacBook pro running snow leopard. And he's got all of his data, you know, 20 years of data on this drive. Uh, one day, Last week, his hard drives, his free hard drive space decreased from about 150 gigs down to 70 gigs. Uh, at that point, all of his backups, super duper and time machine and all that stopped working because there wasn't enough space on the, the drives to you know handle all this sudden influx. And uh, and so he started hunting around because he started freaking out. He couldn't get backups going. You know, here was all of his data at risk. Perhaps his backups were at risk. He ran Omni Disk Sweeper to see if he could find where this extra space was being taken up and no dice. It didn't show up. And, uh, and then he started hunting around and discovered that when you run Omni disc sweeper, and for those of you that don't know, Omni disc sweeper is an app. There are others like it that go out. It goes out and it scours all the files on your hard drive and then tells you or, or, does it well right that's the thing it scours yeah exactly it scours all the files and tells you it organizes them by size and so you get a folder listing by size and you can drill down it's a really really cool utility and very very helpful except it doesn't tell you everything because it's not running as root by default so it cannot see all of the files on the drive as you point out john so uh you have to run it as root and that requires a terminal command and you type S U D O and then you have to type the, the whole path to, uh, to Omni disk sweeper, which is, uh, the path to the package, which would be application slash Omni disk sweeper dot app, then slash contents slash Mac OS slash Omni disk sweeper. And then it'll ask you for your password and then it runs as root. And he found that he had a hundred gigabytes of stuff in the trend micro security folder inside the, uh, the main application support folder in the main library folder, not his user folder. And of course he got rid of that and now his life is better. So that, that was interesting. So we'll post a, again, a perfect candidate for an article because it's got that terminal command, but, uh, but we've got that queued up to go up. So, uh, but very interesting. I never, I've run Omni disk sweeper, I don't know, dozens and dozens of times over the years. And I'm sure I'm missing stuff because I don't, I'm not seeing everything. And that was a little, well, you know, it, it makes sense now because you and I have recommended this app in the past and it certainly does. Oh, it's it awesome. certainly accomplishes its, its task is it shows you in a nice visual way mm-hmm. and it's free now. I think they used to charge for it, but mm-hmm. it's now free. Um, but you and I had always kind of scratched our heads over why sometimes there appear to be sometimes a small and sometimes a not so small, like in this case, discrepancy between what it was reporting. Right. And like, for example, it would say, well, there's this much data on your hard drive. And it's like, well, no, I, you know, get info on the disk and it says there's this much being used. Why is there the difference? This is the answer, I think. Yeah, it totally cool. is. Yeah. Yeah fascinating and our listeners just rock no it's well, it's great most of them oh, well geez. all of them okay well there's that one. Oh yeah you, you know who you are that's right what not me uh, oh no no i didn't mean you that's right <laughs> i meant you but not you um <sighs> all right you know pseudo you know i love pseudo it's, it's great just it's good stuff it's uh it's good 
So, uh, we can, uh, you know what? It's, uh, we've gone on long enough, John. I think it's time. You to, think? Uh, yeah, I think mm-hmm. it's time to bring in the band. Because nothing beats the band. Or something. Really? I don't know. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. So you can, uh, we've gone through a lot in this show. If you have something to say about it, uh, or you have a question of your own unrelated to what we talked about today, uh, feel free to send it in. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the place to send us your questions, tips, info, really anything. And uh, as I alluded before, you know, there, there are some of you that, uh, that very thankfully share information with us, but, uh, but don't want your names uh, associated with it. And that's always fine. And there's various reasons for that. Sometimes it's confidentiality or, or what have you. But we are, we are of course, we re- tend to read everybody's first names on the show. Uh, but, uh, but sometimes those are masked to protect the innocent. Yes. And, you know, here at... We will provide plausible deniability. <laughs> Feedback and where do you get that? Feedback.com. Well, you're right, Dave, is that plausible deniability can be found at feedback at MacGeekGab.com. That's right. Well, maybe not. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 206-666-GEEK is the number to call, John, and GEEK is... As always, or last I checked, it is 4335... That's right. And the lovingly handcrafted show notes that uh, Mr. Braun alludes to is the, the, the things he creates. And they appear, well, at a URL at MacObserver.com, but it's very easy to find that if you simply visit MacGeekGab.com. Did the you other- say MacGeekGab.com? Did yeah, I did. And the other thing you can find at MacGeekGab.com, John, is the, uh, the form to sign up for our premium edition, which gets you two extra episodes per month, access to all of the archives. And, of course, as we've said many times, uh, that warm, fuzzy feeling that you get only from supporting your two favorite geeks. In addition, of course, you, you get our sincere thanks. We really do appreciate all of the support uh, that comes in in a variety of ways. Uh, you, From our sponsors, from our premium members, from you, our listeners, supporting our sponsors. It's, uh, it's a wonderful little dynamic that we have going here, and it... Uh, it takes it all to work, and John and I are happy to put in the effort every week that we do. Um, because it helps it's such us a beautiful do thing. What, it helps us do what we do. It does totally. It totally does. So, but really there's more, it. Dave. There's Go. more. Yeah. If, if you, so, there's this Twitter thing. Well, no. Before the Twitter thing, I'm going to mention the Facebook thing. So, if you go to Facebook.com/slash/MacGeekGab and you like us. Though you may love us, or you may tolerate us, but if you like us, then you will see postings for both when the show is posted, but you will also see when the show notes are posted. And when the AAC is posted, I think. Or is that only Twitter? I think that only goes to Twitter right now. And we speaking of that. Twitter, Dave, th- there's a plethora of Twitter handles that you could follow. A and gaggle, I would say probably a bevy, a host. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm trying to think of other weird names for groups of things. A swarm? A shriek. I'm trying to remember what a shriek is. Look it up. No. Okay. Look it up while I'm babbling here. But okay. um, Twitter, Mackie Cab is the podcast. I am John F. Braun. He is Dave Hamilton. Pilot Pete, who is piloting somewhere, I would hope, is Pilot Pete. And then for your Mac News, Mac Observer. And that's that's the whole Twitter ecosphere. That's it. That's all you need to know on Twitter. That's right. All right. Let's, uh, let's wrap this one up, John. 
We will be back with premium episode 356 on Thursday. On Wednesday, I'm actually going to be in New York very briefly covering the Amazon event for us here at TMO. Amazon is announcing their, well, who knows what they're announcing. Supposed to be something tablet-ish, but we shall see. Have a good week, folks. And lest I forget, I almost did, but I did not get caught. Our podcast marketplace includes, of course, the A2 and A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit from Barebones Software, PDF Pen from Smile with the code GEEK11, good through the rest of September, Gazelle.com, of course, and Blog World Expo coming up uh, there at the beginning of November. Have a good one. Don't get caught. Made up. Thanks, Michael Johnston of We Have Communicators. Thanks, Cashfly, for the bandwidth.